In Luke's gospel, as you will recall, Luke has written this gospel in an attempt to lay out the facts of the birth and the life of Jesus. So when we preach the gospel to people, when we speak to our friends and neighbors and co-workers and just speak in general into our society about the truth of the gospel, we are speaking to genuine historical events. The Gospel of Luke is a deliberate attempt to present the historical events as they occur. And so Luke is going to give us a little bit of a unique perspective. Uh, His take on this, he specifically says that I consulted other writings and other people and and did a lot of research and tried to put together an account that was, um, whether he had access to Matthew or to Mark, Um, It doesn't appear that he did, but even if he did, uh, he didn't try to duplicate what they said, although, of course, it is the life of Jesus. So there's going to, of necessity, be considerable overlap. What we're going to see here is that when God set out to bring forth his son, this is a plan made by God. I don't know about you all. I don't, I don't know how it all went with you. I know that as a young man, um, pre-teen, I was probably 11 or 12 years old, my parents actually let me, uh, I think my mother gave me, uh, I don't know, maybe five bucks. It seems hard to believe she actually gave me that much, but maybe two or three anyway, to go to the store and to take a couple of young cousins, I think, with me. Uh, the store was maybe a mile away walk, and uh, so off we trooped. And as we headed down this road, my little cousin, probably six, maybe five, even, I don't know exactly what age he was, but he looks at me and he says, when we get to the store, you're going to buy me something. Well, I have news for you. I never got my hands on money. I mean, my mother never gave me any money. So I looked at him and I'm like, no, (laughs) this is my money. I'm I'm going to spend this on what I want to spend it. I'm going to spend it on you. And I remember thinking at that moment, I'm going to be a terrible parent. And I couldn't have been 10 years old. Well, that, by the way, is about the entire um, sum total of my thoughts on being a parent. Um, Even getting married, it still never really occurred to me I was going to be a parent. Um, Wanted to get married. I I love my wife, and marriage is great. But you know, kids... I don't know, we're going to have kids? Kids? Actually have kids? Is that right? Uh, And then, what do you know, my wife actually ended up having a baby. You're like, huh, I wonder how this goes, you know. Um, What do I do with it? It it cries and leaks from both ends. I mean, what are you supposed to do with this thing, you know? Uh, uh, We ended up, of course, with three of them, and fatherhood actually, um, greatest thing I ever did. Um, What in the world was I thinking? Not, Not having children. The fact is that God, when he brought forth his son, he just had a little more foresight than I did. I think God did a little more planning than than I did. Uh, In fact, God planned to have a son before he planned this world. God knew that when he made this world, that this is how this was going to go. God knew that if he made a world with sentient beings, folks who had a free will, who could think, who could act, and who could disobey him, they would. And God knew that the only way that this was going to actually work was if a perfect sacrifice was going to happen. 
The only way that was going to happen was if God himself became that sacrifice. God chose to do that. And there are any number of passages you can go to. This is not in any way like something mysterious, like you can't find it or have to hunt hard. There's lots of places. Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Uh, Revelation 13.8. All those who dwell upon the earth will worship him whose names are not found written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before before God laid the foundation, before God ever set out to build this world as the Alpha and the Omega, God knew how it was all going to go. Peter will say, with the precious blood as of a Lamb, unblemished and without spot, the blood of Christ, for he foreknew before the foundation of the world. But he has now appeared in these last times to you. That's Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, God knew exactly how this was going to go. God knew he was going to have a son. And so the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus, by Mary, in what we now call the first century, because it starts with the birth of Christ, God knew exactly how this was all going to go. In fact, As we unfold the Gospels, one of the things that we should greatly note is everything that occurs here, everything that occurs with the birth, without preaching all those sermons again, everything that occurs in that birth has all been planned by God. And we're going to continue looking here this morning and see all the things that are planned by God. So in Luke chapter 2, Verse 21, when eight days had passed from the time of the birth, she had him in Bethlehem. Eight days have now gone by. Remember, Jerusalem is only about six miles away. When the eight days had passed, before Jesus was circumcised, his name was called Jesus. The name he was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, circumcision is one of those signs, you know, we're Americans, we, we live in America, at least I assume most of us are, Some, there are, of course, other nations. We as Americans, we tend to not really think long-term in the sense of, we'll give up anything in a second if it'll work better than what we're presently doing. The very idea that we would have some custom for 200 years we got a couple of them, but really not all that many. You know the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag? That really hasn't been around all that long. You might think it has. It hasn't. Uh, In God We Trust on our coins? Yeah, that hasn't really been around all that long either. All kinds of things that you mind in your life, since they've been done since you were born, you might think that we've just been doing that since the beginning. Come to find out there really aren't that many things. A couple hundred years is all this nation has been. By the time Jesus is born... Back to the time of Abraham when God actually gave the sign of circumcision to Abraham as a seal of the covenant that he had with him, 2,000 years. 2,000 years. This is a tradition. This is a custom. This is a sign of God's faithfulness to his people. And without going through all the history of Israel from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus, but... You've been here a while. Just think about that. Think about the number of times that the nation could have been destroyed. The nation could have simply ceased to exist. 
It is unheard of for a nation to be taken over and scattered and to still exist as a nation. It just doesn't happen. One of the reasons why in the ancient world when you conquered a nation, you would pull its people up and uproot them and send them throughout your kingdom was to keep them from coming back together and going to war with you again. This was a very common practice to eliminate nations. It was tried on Israel. It didn't work. They continued as a nation, even after the Babylonian captivity, even after the ten tribes, and they continued. One of the things that kept them going was this rite of circumcision, which they conducted with all of the firstborn males. This, this happened with Jesus, and they named him... Jesus, which of course is the Hebrew name, Yahshua, right? I don't actually have a J in Hebrew, which is, we say Joshua. And what it means is, Yahweh saves. God saves. Which the angel said, when your child is born, you're going to name him that. Now, you might think that, well, of course she named him that. That's what the angel said. Eh, don't sell Mary short here and just kind of assume that, well, of course she was obedient to God. Are, are we obedient to God? Are we, of course, obedient to God? The fact is, it's challenging to be obedient to God. Uh, Gideon, the angel appeared to him and said, go fight the Midianites. He put the fleece out twice. Are you sure? Are you sure? Was it really me? I mean, was that actually an angel I saw? I, I, people see angels and, and don't. They're not obedient. So the fact that Mary actually is obedient. Okay, Lot's wife. The angels showed up and said, you need to get out of this city. It's going to be destroyed. She saw the angels. She saw how this all went. She still didn't want to leave. She still didn't want to be obedient. Peter, remember Peter gets a vision from God. You know, the, the, the cloth comes down. The unclean animals that kill and eat. Three times God has to show that to him before he finally goes, okay, okay. So Mary is a Jewish girl. Unlike myself, Mary has been thinking about having kids since the moment she was old enough to think about having kids. This is what, this is what you're supposed to do. I mean, the, the commandment, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. If you are a Jewish young girl, your aspiration in life is to be a mom and to provide for the family what nobody else can provide, the children. And come to find out, if you have children, you realize that this is the most precious treasure this family has. I mean, he likes dad's job. We're glad he's got one. But we'd give up the job in a second for the kids. We love the house. The house is wonderful. We're glad we have the house. We give the house up in a second for the kids. Kind of find out the most precious thing you have are the kids. And it's the ladies that show up with the kids. This is a great aspiration. And Mary has it. And while you have it, you're sitting around thinking about what you might name your baby. It's not uncommon. Remember when John got named, John the Baptist. Remember the, the controversy that went on there? They, they looked at, at the mom, Elizabeth, what do you want to call him? We're going to call him John. Ugh, no, you're not. There's nobody in your family named that. Okay, hold on. Let's, let's ask your husband here. As if they have a say in the matter, but apparently they did. And you were supposed to. There are certain names you're supposed to give. She calls her son Yahshua, which, of course, is a good Jewish name, right? But it's the name the angel gave her. Verse 22. When the days... Now, they circumcised Jesus. That, that still happens in Bethlehem, by the way. That, they're in Bethlehem when that happens. And they name him 
Jesus. Now, in the days for the purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him to Jerusalem. Now, this is, this is a 33 additional days beyond the circumcision. As is written in the law, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which, by the way, is the lowest. The, the, this is for people who've got no money. They, they are just poor, dirt poor. Okay, well, Mary and Joseph, they, 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 they're newlyweds. They've traveled from Galilee. They, they're, they're down here. They're staying longer than they expected. They, they just, they have no money. They're, they're just married, right? Who has money when they're just married? This is a standard, normal, everyday couple. And so they bring not an ox or a pear, I don't have a pair of ox. He tells him he's a carpenter. He doesn't have this kind of money. So they bring, now, here's an interesting thought. And not to belabor this too long, since we do want to get done sometime today. But just stop and think about this for a minute. Because this is the New Testament, but this is Old Covenant thinking here. Praise God, we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. But just stop and think for a minute about the Old Covenant. Mary has a baby. Now she's unclean. Since when did having a baby make you unclean? I mean, really? What exactly does God think of us if having a baby makes you unclean? <clears throat> yeah, you might want to actually stop and think about that for a second. We are unclean. We are born in iniquity. That's what we are. We are born in sin. We are born sinners. And so, when you have a birth, you are ceremonially unclean, which, of course, in the Old Covenant, you don't want to be ceremonially unclean. God is holy, without sin, righteous in everything that he is, as well as in what he does. We are sinful all over the place. Also really interesting that Mary, who gives birth to Jesus, is still considered unclean. Just in case you've got a theological view on Mary as being something other than a typical young Jewish girl. Uh, She is not holy. She is not pure. She is like everybody else. She too needs a savior. Um, The fact is that under the old covenant, you could be unclean for all kinds of stuff. Uh, we mentioned in Sunday school this morning the list of things for which you could be unclean almost seemed endless. You could be unclean for stuff that just happened to you, like having a baby. It's not like you had to actually deliberately go out and, and commit some great crime. The fact is you could become unclean if something unclean touched you. If one of your close relatives happened to, happened to die and, and you touched them, you're unclean. The fact is that God provided a way for us to recognize just how righteous and holy he is so that when we approach God, we approach him with a sense of our own sinfulness. We're going to come to God. This, okay, so what's going to happen here is Mary is going to come and she is now going to, her and Joseph, they're going to give this offering. And they're going to give this offering for Jesus. And they're going to give it because, 
not that Jesus is a sinner. It's just like circumcision. Circumcision is to show that you're, you're getting rid of your sin nature as it were. You're, you're dedicating yourself to God. Well, Jesus didn't have a sin nature, but he was keeping the law. Jesus is going to come and they're going to give the sacrifice for him, even though he's without sin. So what's happening here? He's going to have to be redeemed. Now, how did that happen? And again, remember, all of this was put in place for the specific purpose of this event. The whole law of Moses was to point to this moment. So don't get caught up in the law and kind of think, well, we have to do the law or keep the law or, boy, I best better figure out what the law is. So, no, we're free from the law because Jesus is going to do all of this. He is going to be the ultimate law keeper. But the fact is that all of this was set up for this moment. God planned this from eternity to bring about this event. So the firstborn males, they needed to be redeemed because of what? Why would you redeem your firstborn males? Why in the world are they doing this? Other than the fact that, you know, it's in the law. But why is it in the law? The fact is, God explains this very clearly. When they left Egypt, the last plague was the plague of all the firstborn dying. And so, God says, all the firstborn males are mine. Every firstborn male of your cattle, of your sons... They're all mine. I own them. They're dedicated to me. Because it was with the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians, of the cattle, and of the sons, in every household, everywhere, that I redeemed you. I got you out of there. So, in return for that, all of your firstborn sons are mine. Now, God says, I'm going to be, here's how we're going to do this. Instead of you taking all your firstborn sons and handing them over to the priesthood to be fully employed over here doing the priestly thing, God says, here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to take one tribe. I'm going to take the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi is going to be my tribe. They're not going to have a part of the land when you divide up the land. They're going to just have their own cities. And I am going to accept them as the firstborn of all of your family. So you don't have to take your firstborn son. Remember Hannah takes her firstborn son. She goes, remember she goes to the, she's, she's going to Eli and she can't get pregnant and, and she's praying and she's like, oh Lord, you know what, what I wouldn't give to have a son. And Eli thinks that she's drunk because she's over there talking and moving her lips and no, no words are coming out. And she's like, oh no, I'm just so greedy to my spirit because I can't have kids. And, and she's making a vow, Lord, if you give me a child, I will give him to you. And remember, she gets pregnant and that child is Samuel. And she keeps Samuel until she weans him. We're talking maybe three, four years old. And then she gives him to Eli. And she shows up every year with just a little outfit that she's made for him every year. And she gives it to him. That's it. Her son is, he's with the priests, with Eli. You know, that should have happened to every firstborn son in every family in Israel. That's what should have happened. But God said, I'm not going to do that. Not going to make you all give up your firstborn sons. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the tribe of Levi. And you can see that in Numbers chapter 3, by the way, if you want to look that up. And what's also interesting in the book of Numbers is that when God totals up the firstborn of all the 11 tribes, 
It's 22,000 guys. Well, it's actually 22,232, I think. And all of the sons of Levi, not firstborn, just all the sons of Levi, are 22,000. So it's like 123 or 133, somewhere in there. That above for the tribe of Levi. God says, all right, since I'm going to take all the, all the sons of Levi and they're going to be mine, here's what you're going to do just to remember that that's what happened. And just to remember that if I wanted to, I could take your firstborn son, all of them. I, you owe them to me. They are gods. He said, here's what you're going to do. When your firstborn son is born, you're going to come and you're going to give an offering. You're going to redeem him. You're basically going to pay the priesthood so that I don't take your firstborn son because you should give your firstborn son to God. Of course, in the new covenant, we should give all our kids to God, right? None of them are ours. We're just stewards of them for a little while. And you should take good care of them and you should raise them up so that they become godly young people so that when you turn them into adults and they finally walk away and stop obeying you and start obeying God, their hearts are already yielded and kind and filled with love and compassion and they know what discipline is and they know what the word no means and and they know how to share and they know how to be kind and gracious and loving and giving and all those other fruits of the spirit which is what your job as a parent is is to make your kids mature responsible adults and just in case that's a mystery to you um, let it be mysterious no longer that's why God gave you kids and to turn your kids over to God and say, oh, God, phew, wee, boy, you take care of them. You know, my sister runs this camp out in Utah, right? And it's really common for people to just kind of show up and go, my child is a disaster. And they're just rebellious. And, they, and, they're, and this list, and we're giving it to you for the week at this godly camp. Will you please do something with them? Now, you know, God is gracious. And a week of camp has, in fact, been known to, to do amazing things, but... You know, it was really your job as the parent. You're supposed to know how to do these things. Anyway, wrong sermon. So now we're back here to Mary and Joseph. They bring Jesus. We're never going to get through this passage, by the way. Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus and they give this sacrifice. This is, which is exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They, they are supposed to give here... And all they give is the, the two turtle doves because that's, that's all they've got. Um, but this is what they're going to do to redeem Jesus with. I, it's great that God has, through Jesus, given us away from the old covenant. We don't have to do this anymore. When your kids are born, um, we do have, uh, occasionally people will do uh, baby dedications. I think that's a great thing. Um, we should do that. That's, that's a marvelous thing to do. Although, honestly, I'm not sure but that it's more the parental dedication than the child dedication, but that's okay. Um, you're, you're basically standing up and saying, we as the parents are determined to raise this child, to bring honor and glory to God. So the scene that we see here, as we, as we bring Jesus into the temple, what we see is that there needs to be redemption. This is the point. This is the whole point. We owe God our very lives. And all of these sacrifices, all of these things that we bring to God, they simply point to the true sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. 
And of course, Jesus is that true and ultimate sacrifice. And as he now goes through, and Luke is, is carefully laying out here, so that we will see that Jesus is in fact doing all that the old covenant requires of him. Jesus is not born in China. He's, he's not born in England. He's not born in Spain or Egypt or who knows where. He's born in Bethlehem, exactly where he's supposed to be born. And he's going to fulfill all of the requirements of the law exactly like he's supposed to fulfill them. So his parents do exactly what they're supposed to do. And of course, this is what Luke said. Luke said, I'm, I'm putting this gospel together for this very purpose. I'm compiling these things, all of these eyewitnesses. And what we see here most likely is he's talked to Mary. Right? He's talked to Mary and said, okay, how did, how did this go? She said, well, you know, we, we had the baby in Bethlehem, and then we circumcised him, and I called him Jesus. And then we went up to the temple to offer the sacrifice like we're supposed to. I mean, we're trying to be a good Jewish couple here. Uh, we're trying to offer these things. And uh, so we, we actually bring Jesus up to the temple. Now, we know he's, we know he's a special child. We know that, that God is going to be doing amazing things in his life. But we've got to say, the events that unfold, and as they actually begin to happen, um, we know how it is. And we thought we had something special going on with God, but we didn't realize that God was actually working in our lives to affect everybody. Meaning we had the baby, and then suddenly these shepherds show up, and they come in and tell us they've seen an angel. Wow, I, really? I, I, I mean, we had the baby, and we didn't see angels, but God actually sent his angels to announce that, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, they're treasuring these things up in their heart. And although we're not going to get to it in any detail this morning, when they show up at the temple, two people approach them, just as it were, out of nowhere. They're just there to get done what they're supposed to get done. They have a responsibility to bring a sacrifice to redeem their firstborn son as they're supposed to do it. But what we're going to see is, and Luke deliberately lays out for us, Luke is like, okay, if you believe, if you want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, let me present to you the evidence that you need to believe it. Luke has gone and interviewed people. Luke has talked to people. In order for us to become Christians, we don't have to throw away our brains. We don't, we don't have to go, well, you know, it doesn't really make much sense, but, well, I believe it. You know, that's what faith is. You know, it's believing the unbelievable. Uh, no, that's not what faith is at all. Faith is looking at the facts and saying, yeah, yeah, you know, this is very believable. We take all kinds of things by faith. It's just all kinds of stuff. I don't know about you, I've never been to Africa. But I wouldn't tell you it's not there just because I've never been there. I've talked to people who've been to Africa. I've talked to people who live in Africa. Okay, I take that by faith. Are they lying to me? I don't think so. It's, that's the reality. Well, history is exactly like that. And so Luke is going to lay out for us. Luke is a careful historian. He says, I'm going to put in order, most excellent Theophilies, these things which I investigated and researched so that you can believe what I'm telling you is the truth. So, I mean, he starts out in Zacharias, remember, in the birth of John the Baptist, the angel appears to him. Elizabeth, they're old, they have this baby, and that he's, they name him John, and that miraculous event occurs. The shepherds come in and they say, yeah, we saw the angel. Mary has heard from God. Joseph marries Mary. 
Remember, Mary is, she's got a, a normal life. People are looking at her like, wait a minute, how did you get pregnant again? Explain this to us again, because you weren't married, and we all know how that goes. Uh, and even Joseph didn't believe her. Luke doesn't, he doesn't whitewash that. Uh, there are, Mary has a virgin birth, and prior to that in the history of the world, that event has not occurred. Did this time. So the question is, are all these people liars? Is everybody in here lying? Is Luke lying? I, really? Did Zacharias and Elizabeth, are, did they just make this up? Why in the world would they make this up? Plus, she had the baby and she's very old. Would the shepherds lie about the angels? They, the angels told them they would find the babe in a manger, wrapped in the clothing. Let's hurry and let's go see this. They show up. There it is. Why would Mary... Why would Joseph, why would Joseph marry her if, he, if the angel had not yet appeared to him? All of these events, and the two folks that we'll get to next time, um, why would these people do these things if God were not at work? Because God is at work. We're going to see it in Simeon, and we're going to see it in Anna next time. They both are going to come up, and they are both going to declare that this is God's son. What an amazing time of life. When God is at work, we somehow think that, well, I don't know. Is God at work? I mean, let's go outside and see if, if there's angels sitting on the clouds blowing trumpets. You know, is there... I don't know why. There's some great, marvelous, just amazing thing going on. Um, Even in these events, in these people's lives, Mary and Joseph, both of them, are just amazed as these events unfold. When God is at work, it's sometimes quite mundane. We need to recognize that the word of God and the transformation that the word of God begins to do in our lives and hearts is the amazing work of God. The fact that you are here this morning, the fact that you want to read the word of God, hear a sermon about the word of God, where do you think that came from? That came from the spirit of God in your life. That came from a desire on your part to get to know God better. Where do you think that came from? That only comes from God. Left to ourselves, we run from God. We are at war with God. We don't want to hear what God has to say. We might want to be religious and all. We might want to impose our self-righteousness on God and hope he's happy with it. But to actually hear the word of God, that only comes from the spirit of God. That is a miraculous event in your life. If you actually want to read the Bible and understand it, that is a miracle. It doesn't seem like a miracle. It just seems like are you sure? I mean, I, I just want to read the Bible and, and see what God has to say to me. Uh, yeah, that is the miracle of the new birth. You have been born again. You, you now have the Spirit of God actually residing in you. You know that Shekinah glory that they were all unclean in front of? That Shekinah glory that, that actually caused Moses to take his shoes off and when, just go through the Old Testament there, go and see that when God's glory was with them in the wilderness, the minute they didn't act like they were supposed to act, I mean, God just killed them. God is holy, and you will act like he's holy. That same Shekinah glory dwells in us. We are now the temple of God. That is a miraculous event. We are walking miracles. See the work of God in your life. 
See God at work. As you read his word, as you speak truth into your world, the one in which you operate in, the place of your work, the place of your home, your neighborhood, as you speak truth into your family, you are doing the miraculous work of God. You're speaking God's words. Don't wait for some, I don't know what, we might think we're waiting for. Don't wait for it. Just speak God's truth now. Just live God's truth now. And see God at work. And be amazed at what God is doing in your life. And in your family. And in your marriage. And with your children. And Just stand back and watch the amazing work of God. Recognize God at work in the everyday things. Because he is. That is just a great, great thing. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are faithful. You're faithful to your word, faithful to your people, faithful to your covenant. Lord, when you brought forth your son in the fullness of time, you picked the exact right moment in history, the exact right governmental authorities, the exact right couple, the nation was at the right place, All of this occurred because you wanted it to. And although those events, um, for the most part, there were a few miracles here and there, but for the most part, they were regular events. Uh, Lord, may we see you at work in the regular events of our life as well. May we continue to pray with great faith. May we continue to study your word and see it renew and regenerate and transform us. May the very evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, your Spirit, in our lives, may we see that as your amazing work. May we not just take it for granted. May we instead rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks because of the work you're doing in our lives. Encourage us, strengthen us, help us to move forward this week looking and seeing you at work. In our very lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.